Well, hello and welcome. I am Renee Calba, a pastor at Living Waters Church. And from time to time, we take an opportunity to just have a deeper discussion um, with someone that maybe has come as a guest speaker or is doing a conference here at Living Waters. And I am delighted today uh, to have our longtime friend, Prophet Alan Ross, with us. Um, and I've, I just want to give a little bit of context for who Alan is. Some of you may know, um, but we've had a longtime friendship and, and ministry relationship with Alan uh, that spans at least 24 years now. And, um, you know, we know him as a, a very trusted and accurate prophetic voice, um, as a preaching prophet, but there's a lot to him just in the fellowship as another believer. Um, he also serves as a pastor, and so I just want to delve into a little bit more of that. Um, so, Alan, it's really good to have you here with us today. It's great to be here. Thank you, Renee. Yes. Um, so, Alan lives in Glasgow, Scotland, as you might be able to hear, and uh, he lives there with his wife, Margot. And uh, his daughter, Sarah, who's at, at that phase of transition as she's uh, heading into college life. And um, he serves there at his church body in Scotland. Can you tell me a little bit about what you do there, Alan, um, when you're not visiting us here? Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely, Renee. Well, I do things that every pastor does. I work as an associate pastor to the senior pastor, Andrew Smith. I know you've met Andrew and his wife, Lois, before. Yes. When the Calvers were in Glasgow. And basically, I preach, I counsel, I officiate at funerals, occasionally weddings, and do all the things that pastors do. I connect with groups of uh, other local pastors in Glasgow and being part of the Assemblies of God, Great Britain denomination. There's lots of denominational activities. That's interesting for us here because, of course, we know you as a, as a prophetic voice and we know you as one that uh, preaches the word. Do you feel like, um, you know, there's a difference in how you approach pastoring? Do you pastor from a prophetic standpoint, or how does that function for you? Generally, a flow in the, the gift of pastor, the way any pastor would look after his flock. But at times, I lean into the prophetic if I'm dealing with someone who has long-standing issues, so I can at least understand the nature of the battle that they're facing and how the Lord will resolve that issue. Um, in that unique coalition of Holy Spirit activity and human personality. Can you tell me a little bit about how you knew that you were called to ministry, how you knew you were called to pastor, maybe a little bit just about your testimony in general, even your call to salvation and, and coming to the Lord, and then how that kind of turned into you um, pastoring and ministering prophetically? Absolutely. Um, I, my previous religion, before I was a Christian, was Scottish heathen. 
was very high up in my <laughs> denomination. Alcoholism and wild living and a life of chaos, a life of destruction. Part of the pain of moving forward is now seeing very clearly how many people I would have hurt and even damaged. But part of the joy of even looking back on that is knowing that Christ Jesus forgave me mm. and the same grace that called me to salvation would have taken care of people that I did wound and hurt when I was alcoholic. I had a nominal Christian background through being in a youth organisation as a child and early teenager, early teenage phase of life. But it would have come out of a, a very liberal Church of Scotland parish. So I never heard the gospel. In fact, to be honest, I don't, I don't remember hearing anything that stayed with me. Wow. It was just uh, there and it was a requirement to go to Bible school on a, a Sunday morning mm -hmm. and occasional uh, church parades where you sat through long services with your eyes open. <laughs> but you were really sleeping. Right. Um, at Boys Brigade um, marches, Boys Brigade um, celebrations. But the journey to sobriety and, and new birth took place gradually over 11 months hmm. between August 1982 and July 1983. There was a Church of Scotland minister involved after having a conversation with a chance meeting with a Church of Scotland minister. I couldn't get the guy's face out of my mind and I knew he had peace in his life, hmm. purpose in his life, because he had God in his life. And that was really the seed of salvation. I don't have peace in my life. I don't have purpose in my life because I don't have God in my life. Hmm. So if I want peace and purpose in my life, I need to get God in my life. And it was up and down for the next 11 months, a lot more downs than up. But I had a crisis moment where I couldn't continue drinking. I couldn't imagine life with or without alcohol and called on God. He answered me and delivered me literally in a couple of seconds from alcoholism. It's like he pulled the tree of alcohol alcoholism up and out of me by the roots. Wow. So that seconds later, no desire for alcohol remained. I was completely alcohol um, and addiction free. And the Lord came into my life. And that was just you and him? Or was yeah. there somebody there that led you through a prayer of... Nope, it was um, God and I. Wow. In a garage of all places, at the back of a Renault dealership. So <laughs> can anything good come out of a Renault dealership? <laughs> well, my new birth did. Wow. And I'm grateful to God for that. My first car was a Renault. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Notice you didn't say your latest car was that, around. Yeah, that's true. Wow. I love I love the way... I've heard you, of course, share how the Lord had encountered you. I've heard you tell that story before. Um, I think every time we visit, we marvel at the, the God stories, uh, you know, of how, how the Lord met you uh, in that time. And I think it's so significant that it was just you and Him 
and and that you knew it was him. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so then after that moment, what did that process of discipleship or Christian growth look like for you? I didn't know when I was delivered from alcoholism how messed up I was in my thinking and my emotions, how immature I would have been. I was 23, four months short of 24. Mm. But in reality, I would have been like a 14-year-old boy in many ways. Mm. I'd just never grown up. My whole teenage years were increasingly dominated by booze and wild living. And that followed into my uh, 20-somethings. So I would have been very broken and downtrodden when I came to faith. The Lord put me into Alcoholics Anonymous, which... This might sound controversial, but I needed a more than I needed church. Hmm. My discipleship began with learning basic social skills, learning how to use a knife and fork, learning to dress becomingly, because the clothes I had before I knew Jesus had been given to me by friends. Hmm. Uh, and I was living that kind of dorsal's life without realizing I'd fallen to quite a... a a sad depth. So in AA, I found community, a tribe. AA had lots of biblical slogans, but with no chapter and verse. Right. And I took to them like duck to water. Uh, I learned them, lived them, prayed them. Prayer was in my life. Uh, I knew Jesus was in my life. I'd seen the movie the Cross and the Switchblade oh. by Nicky Cruz when I was about two weeks a Christian. Yeah. And I understood exactly in truth what God had done in power the day I got delivered from alcoholism. So from that moment on, I asked Jesus into my life about three times every day. Uh, just to I, be sure. Just to be sure. If I felt my life was wobbly <laughs> or I was in any danger, I would ask him several times in several minutes. But... Um, I did try churches, but couldn't get it. I really couldn't get it. There was no grace for me to attach to a specific church. So I would nibble at what was being fed from the pulpit. A lot of it, looking back, would have been liberal Christianity Mm. or extremely conservative evangelical Christianity that was a throwback to the Victorian era with Elizabethan language. Glasgow then was a city of quite conservative Christian fellowships. And here was me, an absolute mess. I would not have fitted into the Christian scene easily. Also, I needed to be on my own for long periods of time because it's only when you are comfortable being on your own for long periods of time that you're going to be comfortable around other people. Hmm, So I kind of saw the world as recovering alcoholics and normal people. Then I discovered that a lot of people I thought were normal weren't that normal after all. <laughs> and I wasn't as bad as I thought I was. <laughs> so it was a growing up experience. The way you listen to your parents and your adult relatives when you're a child, even modelling them, even walking in their footsteps in some ways. Well, I was doing that as a 23, 24, 25-year-old going on 14, 15 and 16. Right. But a breakthrough moment along the way came two and a half years into sobriety when I had a real encounter with the Lord who wanted me to give him my life completely. In other words, surrender. Yeah. Absolutely. 
And I had some things going on in my life then. And I said, well, Lord, can you not come back when I've dealt with this and dealt with that? I don't like church. I don't really get the Bible. So help me, please. Mm-hmm. He said, you trust me with that. But it was such a living word. I thought, well, why did I not think of that? I realised I hadn't been trusting Jesus at every point on my on my life compass. And with the surrender that night came a deep, deep sense of peace. I slept for 17 hours and woke up in great peace, hmm. 5th of January 1986, which was a Sunday. Eventually, a month in, get connected to Queen's Park Baptist Church in Glasgow that was full Pentecostal, indeed charismatic. And as I took to Alcoholics Anonymous, like a duck takes to water, so I took to church life in the same manner. Very quickly, I emerged as an evangelist Hmm. and winning people to Jesus one-on-one that were the most unlikely of people. But they were getting born again and staying in church. Not only that, in some cases, their families getting born again and coming to church. So I emerged quickly. Doors opened for me to preach. I was a street preacher every Saturday night in Glasgow with a little missional team. And we would have opportunities to give out gospel tracts and share a faith. My first message that I ever preached was in July 1986. And it was called, You Must Be Born Again. I was an original thinker even then. (laughs) A true evangelistic message. It was. And I realised when I was preaching, only God could do this. Because I had no notes or anything. But information was coming out of my mind and spirit Mm. that I knew only God could have put there. So after that, I became a, a missionary. I hung up the evangelist boots and put on the missionary boots and worked in a a rescue centre with Glasgow City Mission for one year. 1987 was the year of Glasgow City Mission. I preached in in the mission halls Mm -hmm. uh, of Glasgow City Mission, invariably very old congregations. And not a lot really happening, but it got me preaching teaching, counselling. I preached to men and women who were living homeless once a week at a meeting called the Anchorage. If they endured the preaching and teaching, they get soup and hot pies (laughs) afterwards. Um, But sad to say, in that year, a very serious illness came into my body. Mm. And after I left the mission field... I was going to then struggle for a number of years with deteriorating health until it collapsed completely in 1990. By then I was married to Margot, my wife of 33 years, and already beginning to move prophetically. Hmm. But nothing's wasted in the economy of God. And I found myself over six years going to Bible school, then college, then university. So six years on, I was a man with many certificates and trying to sound like a egghead in company I was working hard to impress. <laughs> I want to just, before we pick up the story there, I want to go back to, um, it sounds like even before you were involved in any kind of organized 
church activity, you heard the voice of God. You heard God speaking to you, giving you impressions. Who told you that you could hear God or or how did you know that that's what that was when when you don't have anybody you know equipping you in that or what what was that like for you how did you know that that was how did that witness in your spirit this is the voice of god speaking to me well it was subjective but tangible and real because i wasn't in any place to play silly religious games yeah i had no religious paradigm no church connection no Christian friends. The catalyst would have been with the Church of Scotland minister. And I was in a stream of consciousness. I was very aware of that stream of consciousness being a God space. But there was events along the way. One time I was involved in an act of crime to get money to spend in alcohol later that day. Mm-hmm. And a powerful manifestation of God took place around me. And I said immediately, Lord, you know why I'm doing this. I need this money for alcohol. And the Lord spoke to me very clearly. His presence was potent and was quite overwhelming. And then the Lord spoke to me and said, my love for you is unconditional. Wow. And it absolutely melted in the inside. Now, I still stole the money. And out that night, it was three sheets to the wind. But it marked me. And as I was hitting another God encounter along the way, praying for people, and that's a miracle, because as an alcoholic, I only thought of myself. Right. Um, But I was praying for people and seeing one man's job being spared when it looked like he was about to be made redundant in a time of deep recession in the UK. He was married with children. It was a miracle story. And I started feeling better initially because of terrible mental health and terrible physical health, where I felt highly stressed all the time, deeply anxious, like I was going to burst. My nerves were strung out. Yeah. And I remember feeling a sense of peace. I remember feeling like, wow, this is working. This is beginning to work. I didn't know about Jesus. I didn't know about the Bible. I didn't know about church. But the truth is something we all gravitate towards, Towards the end of my drinking, by then I'd done a little jail time, gone through a a divorce, I'd been a public, become a public reproach. Nobody wanted to know me anywhere, and I don't blame them. I was just a wreck. One night I walked to a United Free Church, uh, about a mile and a half from where I was living with my mum and dad again. I had spates of homelessness, phases of homelessness, And I walked to this United Free Church. It was like a red sandstone bungalow. Hmm. And I felt a deep sense of peace, even standing outside this locked up building. And I said, I'm going there on Sunday. But I didn't, because I was too ashamed. The thought of going into a church where it had been written all over me what I was, was overwhelming. I, I lived in deep condemnation, a lot of guilt, lot of shame. So it was only a work of grace that could do what I was experiencing. But the Lord also knew I wouldn't listen to people. 
I never listened to anybody in my life. <laughs> I didn't trust anyone. Yeah. I'd always been around so many deceptive and misleading voices. Um, voices that were not informed voices. And my social circle was not exactly an expression of a Jesuit seminary. So <laughs> that's who I was then. And the Lord chose that me method of drawing me to himself. Wow. So all of those encounters that you just described were things that happened before you were set free from alcoholism, before you had given your life to Christ. It sounds like you were being discipled before you ever said yes to Jesus. Yeah. There was this mm -hmm. discipleship of, of the yeah. Holy Spirit. Incredibly so, looking back. Uh, I was learning to hear the voice of God, but not making a lot of noise about it. Right. And then entering into the power of God. And once it was over the line, into the truth of God. But even then, I wasn't a religious guy. I always tell people I didn't become a Christian for religious reasons. Right. It was deeply personal reasons, hmm. selfish reasons hmm. even. I wasn't too interested in the, the wider package of loving others, looking out for others, going to church on a Sunday with short hair and a side shed. <laughs> um, the package was not who I was. Right. I had a head full of Lennon and McCartney. But a heart full of Jesus. <laughs> Still a little bit, you Well, do. occasionally I'm known to tap my toe to the Beatles songs. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so if you if you're following the uh, the timeline, so we just jumped back because I just wanted to talk a little bit about that. Um, I think it's important for us to remember, as believers, that the work of the Holy Spirit is working in people's lives. And rather than to, to try to figure out how do we wrestle people into a relationship with Jesus to see where he's already been discipling them and, and to be that guy that spoke to you that, that was just yet another voice that reminded you that God is, is thinking about you and is speaking to you. And, um, okay, so catching back up with the timeline, you're married to Margo. You've, you've wrestled through some health challenges, and it seems that the Lord used that time to help you uh, actually dive into the Word and, and yeah. into some biblical study. It was a time of preparation. Yeah. Um, you Developing know. my intellect so I'd understand the nations. My, mm. my first degree was in social sciences and majored in psychology and sociology. So later on, when I was going to travel globally to different countries, I understood the questions. I understood how nations operated. I knew there were a configuration of political, social, economic, and religious activity. Yeah. It meant I could ask the correct questions. Everything was ordered of God in that very challenging seven years, um, including the deep brokenness and living in the wilderness. When you're very ill, you can't face being around people. It's yeah. overwhelming. You can't engage. And you're often a misfit when you're very ill in social company. So in the isolation, I found the Lord in the wilderness. Some days I would, most days I would listen to between four and eight hours of cassette teaching. And it was top level charismatic ministers. So it was quality input. I would spend 
between one hour and two hours reading the word of God out loud wow. over my life. And I still do that to this day. Yeah. I love reading the word of God out loud because my spirit man catches that. And the same God that spoke the word into the authors of the scriptures' spirits, well, I experience that same God when I read that word out loud. Yeah. It's presence, it's encounter, it's quite dynamic. In my better phases in that seven-year period, I did begin to preach quite a lot. I was part of a, a great American ministry that trained and developed as well. And the topics were outside of the normal topics you would have heard in many Scottish churches in that era. My first Bible school in London was an American Bible school teaching powerful charismatic truths. So in some senses, I was in my own little American bubble living in Glasgow. My wife was in that bubble with me and I frequently sent to America for teaching resources because they were not available in the UK, but I did have my top American ministers that were shaping and forming Christ in me. So at that time, what would you say... Uh, was something that was being cultivated in the American church that wasn't available to you or wasn't happening in in your nation. What what types of topics are you referring to, or what are what are some of those influences that you're talking about? A lot of the the teachers I listened to birthed the love of the Word of God in me to mm. cherish the the Word, to take the Word at face value the way you would take the word of your doctor or, or dentist hmm. or attorney um, and developed a big faith in God's word, a love of giving, a hmm. love of missions, but also opportunity to go on the mission field um, exposed us also to international um, speakers that were connected to different cultures. So we're hearing different cultural perspectives that were in education in themselves. Mm. In a sense, a Holy Spirit fascination with this American bubble that I found myself living in. Yeah. Huh. Very interesting. So um, you began to minister prophetically. So there must have been a point where you had an awareness, in, ad in addition to being able to preach, uh, you had an awareness that you had a gifting in the area of the prophetic or that that, that was uh, a gift that you could function in. Can you talk a little bit about kind of the difference between the gifting of the prophetic and, and actually uh, walking in the office of a prophet, which um, I don't know that you would say out loud, but we all say of you that we would say, uh, Alan walks in the office of a prophet. We we look to you, you know, even at this in this body as a prophetic voice, you know, into into this body, as one who's called to to be in that place. Um, so you you know had must have had this place where you recognized, yes, I can flow in the gift of the prophetic. And at some point, that became something more than that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. I didn't realize in 1988 when I started flowing in the prophetic, it was gift of prophecy, one of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. And even when I preached and would exercise that gift infrequently, not all the time, 
I could see it was having impact, but I never really put much emphasis on it. I kind of thought, well, everyone can do this, every charismatic, every Pentecostal. Um, and towards the end of that initial um, nine-year period, um, I did have massive health issues that resulted in, resulted in me almost giving up. I was ready just to pass, to mm. go on to be with Jesus, which from my perspective would be better by far because there's no fight left in me any longer. Yeah. But from God's perspective, he chose that time in my life to visit me, lay hands on my shoulder, fill me with the Holy Spirit, and commissioned me to be a prophet to the nations. Wow. So I went from almost dying to a new birthing. And in that encounter in a home group of all places where I was very broken because of health issues, I had such a gift of faith that I could launch out immediately. And I prophesied over every person in the home group that night. Wow. That I had the encounter. And they were astonished because I didn't know their lives. I didn't know what was going on in their backstory, but all this was coming down line. And where there was foretelling of things to come, well, it was all coming to pass really quickly. Wow. One couple, there's financial needs in your life, the Lord's going to resolve this very quickly. I didn't realise, A, they had such big financial issues, and B, that the Lord was going to have people send them lots of money within a few days. Wow. And then they didn't have any financial <laughs> difficulties. So it was so subjective. Um, and then I started moving quickly into that gifting. Opportunities opened up in and around the greater Glasgow area. And I was preaching here, there and everywhere. It seemed if missionaries were coming through town, they would hear about me and they would ask to see me and I would prophesy over them. So within a month or so, I was living in this kind of prophetic wonderland not understanding this was exactly what the lord wanted to do but a north american prophet by the name of clem ferris yeah. heard about me from the the lead pastor of this american ministry that i was in and took me into ukraine with him as an apprentice and we really connected and in ukraine the lord really started moving through me and by this stage, I'm four months into this grace. Uh, and it actually generated a lot of invitations, not only in the Ukraine, but several American pastors who were on mission at the same time as I was in Ukraine invited me to speak in the States. Wow. So it's happening hot and fast, really, really quickly. Within three years, I was traveling worldwide. Wow. But only God could have done that. Really. Right, right. Because it wasn't even Alan who. It was Alan why. And some <laughs> people looking in in my life then said, why would the Lord even think about using Alan Ross? Wow. One leader who shall remain anonymous said, you're not going, he said to the lead pastor of the apostolic movement I was in, you're not going to try and tell me Alan Ross is a prophet, are you? And this man said, well, yes, he is. He's recognized. By another prophet and this guy then had to change his narrative rather sharply wow so it was kind of challenging times uh, i discovered that limited people immature people see you through immature and limited eyes 
and have got you a place they think you belong. And if you suddenly grow way beyond that, they come after you with guns a-blazing. But the calling needs to be tested and proven. The word of the Lord needs to test you before you can be plunged into the deeper expressions of grace. Right. And it sounds like you definitely experienced that. The the guns a-blazing will, oh, yeah. will test Utter that for rejection sure. of me, my calling. Yeah. Very negative labels yeah. attached to me that was... I was a lunatic and even questioning whether it was an authentic grace. How do you know it's not a a, a familiar spirit? And oh, it was my. like being locked in a, a it was like being locked in an asylum for a few months. Wow. I, I did start to move forward and call people out and they changed all the narratives, said I never said that, don't remember saying that. So I discovered there's such an illness out there, it's charismatic dementia. It can come on people from a very young age but they don't remember the angry words they shout and ball at you. Um, there's no cure for it either. Hopefully the church has been delivered from that, uh, from that illness. It's only immature and limited people that do that to you. Yeah. Wow. Well, and I can imagine, uh, you know, the, the wonder at that being a possibility when we hear your testimony and, and how you would describe yourself Um you know, even having bouts of homelessness, feeling as though you're a reproach to society and and now described really as a a pastor, a, a visionary prophet, uh, an academic. Um, you know, I there is no topic, Alan, that we talk about that you don't have some kind of specialized knowledge in. And, um, you know, it's just such a testimony to really the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in your life, and you're yielding to that. I think that's a piece of that uh, is your willingness to yield to that. And we can certainly uh, speak to the fruit of your ministry and uh, your prophetic voice here. There would be thousands of people just from this region that could line up and and speak to the fruit of your ministry in their lives through both your preaching and, and your prophetic uh, gifting. Um, well, I did want to just take that opportunity just for people to to be able to know some of your story, because again, it's not something that comes up in every, in every uh, message that you bring necessarily. Um, and then also wanted to just take a few minutes to see now you've been serving uh, in in ministry, pastoring, uh, and also in prophetic ministry over um, the last, how many years would that have been? I've been traveling globally now for 26 years. Okay. And I've been a Assemblies of God pastor for 10 years. Okay. But before that, I was a pastoral leader in the Baptist church. So we met you quite early on in that traveling globally phase of your life about 24 years ago. Um, And I would imagine over that 26 years, you have um, seen the kind of the development of the prophetic in in the body of Christ at large, having traveled to so many different places. Um, I know this weekend you're ministering here uh, on being progressively prophetic. And um, could you just talk a little bit about some of the change that you have seen um, in prophetic ministry in the body over over that really quarter of a century now? 
unbeknown to me when I was called as a prophet in 1997, that there was already a prophetic movement that had gone around much of the, the world and the global south and the global north. I'm very aware of the movement in North America that was spontaneous and emerged in the early 80s, took traction, grew, became very organised and dispatched prophets um, all over the world without having a strategy to do that. It was so spontaneous and so God. But it was more a blessing movement then. It leveraged Christians out of religious mindsets, especially thinking somehow in some way God is still very angry with me. Mm. Because the prophetic words from prophets in particular were so intimate and carrying information that only God could know. Yeah. And here he was in love with the person. It also opened up the spirits of believers to hear the voice of God for themselves. And that was incredibly powerful. Um, and it grew. The movement spawned prophetic training centers. Uh, quality books on the prophetic began to emerge. Prophetic worship um, grew exponentially and has now evolved more into soaking worship. Yeah. Um, and the clear definition of the, the, the different gifts of Jesus Christ, because people were wondering, prophets, there's no prophets in the church today. But Ephesians 4 verse 11 spells out there's five gifts of Jesus Christ, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, and evangelist. Uh, and prophets labored on that because up to that point, churches only were familiar with the pastor model, especially in mainline denominations. Right. And in historical churches, it was the minister of religion. So there was a very good teaching component looking at God's restorational plans for the church. And it outlined what the Lord had been doing really since Martin Luther's Reformation. That began a process of reformation and restoration. Acts 3.21 speaks about the restoration of all things. Yeah. So the prophetic was way beyond just birthing a gift. It was educating the body, imparting grace to the body. And this movement really went worldwide. It was American prophets that impacted me in Glasgow, Scotland, coming through the ministry that I was part of. And it was through that activation process, through that very deep activation process, that many people in my congregation became prophetic in themselves, moving in the gift of prophecy, gift of word of knowledge, gift of word of wisdom. Yeah. Uh, an incredible time for this movement to go worldwide. Um, this began in the 80s as a blessing movement. And I think about 2007 began to become a building movement. Ephesians 2.20 indicates apostles and prophets are called to build foundation in the church. Yeah. Not the pastor, not the teacher, not the evangelist. There's a divine order to how the ministry gifts of Jesus Christ flow. It constitutes the contemporary ministry of Jesus. Um, and 2010, it went to a place of consolidation 
Bearing in mind a lot of the prophets that emerged in the early 80s had become quite old by 2010, <laughs> either retired or moved directly into the pastorate, and one after the other, lots of them started passing away. Mm-hmm. So now the prophetic would look more like consolidating everything that's, that's gone before and blessing, building, but for future growth. And with a proper marriage to the apostolic, because the apostolic and the prophetic is designed to flow together. Wow. That that feels like we just took a... Um a university level course on the development of the fivefold in in the body of Christ. That was an excellent flyover of just kind of what the Lord's been restoring to the church. What would you say, uh, where do you see us kind of at now in the body? I I think we would all agree, uh, maybe, um, that we kind of are on the cusp of if not an official reformation, sort of reformative um, times in the body, what do you see kind of universally in the church happening in this season and kind of where we're headed, do you believe, in that as it relates to that progression that you just talked about? Mm-hmm. Well, using the reformation word, and I'm not going to the detail, I'm convinced we've completed two cycles of Reformation since the first Reformation began in 1512. The third and final Reformation is something that has begun in the church, but only at a basic level of some seeds germinating Mm -hmm. and certainly forerunner voices beginning to emerge. This is the century God's giving us permission to do church differently. And yeah. the, the final reformation will feature a full expression of apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, and evangelist, training and equipping the saints to do the works of the ministry. Up until now, we've expected the pastor to do the works yeah. of the ministry. So church will change to be extroverted in nature, not introverted, We see this modelled in the book of Acts, where the word of the Lord was spread everywhere. And again, in every Reformation movement, there is a reclaiming of old language, what we would consider dead language, to speak of the word of the Lord. In many circles, would almost sound religious now, but the word of the Lord, in the truest sense, is anointed and empowered by God to do a specific work in a person or a community. So when the movement of the saints takes the word of the Lord into the spheres of influence, the in the truest sense, the kingdom will expand at the speed of thought. Wow. I feel like we have had language around what you're talking about. We've been talking about the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. We've been talking about uh, the church turning more outward. Um, And maybe it's prophetic language, and now we're poised to actually move into it or step into it. But I feel like we've been talking about that for a while in the church. And um, what do you think will catalyze that actual expression 
in the body, of, of seeing the church step into the fullness of that? What do you see even as catalysts at work in this time? Mm-hmm. Well, many Christians, certainly in the UK, have become aware of what they were historically has come to an end and are migrating from an old position. They were in kingdom speaking and old anointings they were in that generally have died yeah. and migrating towards the new. So many are on the journey and don't know they're on the journey. Right. But it, it certainly set a new list of priorities in their lives for true relationship with the household of faith. Not because it's the Christian thing to do, but almost like their Christian life depends on it. Authentic relationships. And also recognizing a lot of old truths are dying and trying to regurgitate them to the point that have present meaning as an exercise in embarrassment. Mm. Um, It's like the Lord switched off a, a signal and much of kingdom life began to wither and die. But he's since switched on a new signal that many people are gravitating towards without being aware of it. In so many ways... It's like a reformation of the church as an institution now, Mm. which is at present time inward looking with a teaching priest on a Sunday morning and with a sense of we've fulfilled the Great Commission by having church on a Sunday morning. That's been dismantled and Christians are being invited by the Holy Spirit to think differently and believe differently. Many who have been on the road for a long time have already evolved into the beginnings of something new. And there's been a divine confrontation on missions, for example, on believing, on understanding what we do with the word of God. In a sense, deep calling onto deep, the kind of novelty factors that governed our superficial understanding of faith and revival have been removed that the Lord has created a people who are in the forerunner phase to be a hearing generation. But there will be an element of cataclysmic events that churches and regions will begin to move into simultaneously. And to use a little bit of trade language, there will be, there will be apostolic actualization that will take place globally. Certainly in the global north, it's already happening in the global south, that to the believing church, because there's now an apostate church, um, to the believing church, that truth will be received universally and begin to do a work. The sad thing about the Christian faith is in times when not a lot is happening, believers and churches can become very religious with that legalistic and judgmental quite harsh there's nothing worse than hearing someone rant and rave from the book of anger and (laughs) it's not a good expression of the christian faith so i watch and i pray i do see forerunner churches emerging i believe living waters has been a forerunner church since its since its inception in 1991 and has continued to move Mm. by the the cloud by day and the fire by night. <laughs> yeah. Because you guys, we have changed 
significantly over the three decades we've been in relationship together. But there is also, there is also running parallel with that, a real sense of, well, I know what I want to do and I know what I don't want to do. Mm. And in a sense, we're being invited to explore the Christian faith afresh presently. I think a lot of the churches in the wilderness where all beliefs are being challenged and new revelatory truths are being seeded. In migration, you have to fight to land into that new kingdom position and a flow of revelatory truth. Hmm. And I think most of us are fighting at the moment. There's an inner wrestling going on and a ticking of boxes and a crossing of boxes. Hmm. And usually with an in, a certain element, element of moving into an expression of anguish. There can be a great anguish of faith along the way, Mm. which is necessary as a catalyst to birth in you. Yet we remain convinced that there's no other name under heaven by which a man or woman can be saved, the person of Christ Jesus. So it's really a time of growing up, repositioning and learning to believe for future expressions. For some of us who are no longer 21, we have a highly (laughs) valid testimony of God that we're transmitting to younger saints because in all likelihood, in all likelihood, the saints that arise in a time of crisis will be the generation of the future. Looking at church history, there's always been a generation of saints that did arise in a crisis, not because they thought it was a good idea, but because the word of the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit impacted them to the point they could immediately run with something new. Hmm. It's, from our point of view, I think we stumbled over destiny, but from God's perspective, it was destiny all along. Philippians 2.13 says, For it's God which works in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So we can all ask the Lord right now, what exactly are you doing in me right now, Lord? It's for your good pleasure. It would be my pleasure too if you gave me at least a hint. And that's (laughs) designed to increase the intensity of a relationship with God. Yeah. Yeah, intensity and intimacy mm-hmm. uh, in that process. Wow. I, I think that's probably an excellent thought uh, to leave us with that question um, that you just posed, that we would all take that to the Lord in this season. Um, I think one, one final thing I would love to ask about as it relates to you, you talking about kind of um, this intergenerational relationship and um, talking about kind of the, the, the future of the church emerging from the younger generation. What thoughts or um, we haven't, you know, I don't know that we've ever talked about this across the table, but what thoughts do you have as far as kind of the role of the older generation in this season to co-labor with God, what God wants to do with the next generation? I see um, lots of late 40s plus people spilling over into 50s and 60s 
um, really being shaped and formed by the Holy Spirit to become fathers and mothers of the faith. Fathers and mothers of the faith have no ambition whatsoever. Yeah. They certainly don't want to be the latest charismatic hotshot um, on the churchscape. They only have one agenda, and that's God's agenda. And they know exactly what they're called to do. And it's more about who they're called to be. It's a fathering and mothering influence, kind of a great impact on younger generations, especially if their experience of parenting isn't that good. There's lots of younger believers out there now that have come out of a broken home, maybe never had a father, and don't know how to act as a son or a daughter because they were shaped and formed with an orphan heart from the get-go. In many ways, the call of the older generation is not only to bring a sense of parenting, a parental influence to younger believers, but to be a parental influence in their own spheres of mm. influence in the wider community. The world now is dealing with issues coming out of men and women with orphan hearts mm. that are doing the most despicable things. To contemporize this and focus on the war raging in Ukraine at the moment with the Russian invasion of Ukraine, I don't know President Putin, but I can tell you one thing about that man. He has an orphan heart. Mm. He has an orphan heart. If only I can grow the Russian Empire, if only I can become like a Russian emperor. Mm. That's what's feeding his expansionist polit policies. And of course, at a, a lower grade level, we've seen the news headlines, criminal activities being exposed, the most heinous acts of violence being inflicted on others, the most disgraceful financial and white-collar crimes being perpetrated. And while it's wrong, and I would never, ever seek to diminish the wrong of people's behaviour, I know it's come from an orphan heart. So part of this final reformation will be parenting the world again hmm. and growing up people to behave like sons and daughters, either in the household of faith or in wider civil society. My generation all grew up in a home where mum and dad stayed together because they had to. Yeah. We may have not had a brilliant model of fathering, but we still had a father who worked for us and provided for us. And of course, ultimately, our Heavenly Father is going to exercise his parenting through mothers and fathers of the faith to really billions of people across the world. I'm glad not one single couple have been given that charge, but probably tens of millions of couples have been given that charge. The biggest thugs, and I've been in prisons speaking to prisoners. I've moved alongside drug dealers, gangsters. They all have orphan hearts and are ready to take you on if you say something that offends them. Yeah. I've found when I talk to them like a father would speak to a son, they start to respond positively. I remember being in prison one time, speaking to a group of prisoners, sharing my testimony. And to begin with, they had sarcastic smiles on their face. They must have thought I was a 
evangelical milksop looking at me. <laughs> but when I was talking their language by my experience, strength and hope, at the end of the meeting, they were wanting to talk to me. Mm. And I spoke to them like a father would speak to a son. If I'm ever in conversation with somebody that's really broken down and I know has terrible self-esteem issues, I focus on that individual like I'm the president of the USA, focusing on a citizen with only one agenda to make them feel good about themselves. Hmm. I, can, uh, I can definitely attest to that. I have seen that in action with you, Alan, uh, where people feel like they're the only person in the room. And that is the heart of, of course, of our Father, our Heavenly Father, working through you. Um, so would you mind, just as we close, would you pray for us, uh, the body of Christ, and whatever you'd like to pray, but also into this fathering and mothering movement? And uh, just just pray for us in that, that that would be our heart as well, that we would step into that. Um, because we do know that ultimately uh, Jesus came to restore us to a father and to restore us uh, to being sons and daughters again. And why wouldn't that be uh, the way that he would impact the world is through fathering and mothering. Yeah. So could you pray with us? Absolutely, Renee. Father, thank you for who you are. In you, there's no shifting shadows. You never change. Mm. And we are in awe, Father, of the gift of Christ Jesus into all of our lives. And the reality of the Holy Spirit that took us from darkness into light, from the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of our God, from a lifestyle of negativity and destruction to a lifestyle of positivity and indeed great potential. And Father, we think much about the gospel because of what the gospel has done in our lives. But Heavenly Father, we thank you that as you look on planet Earth right now, you have in place a strategy to parent the world once again, to help broken men and women whether they're young, whether they're old, whether they're middle-aged, encounter the Father heart of God, the language of a Father that's never judgmental and always offers a way back, never judges and speaks words of affirmation, mm. never seeks to punish, but at the same time doesn't diminish the area of personal responsibility. Thank you for the love of the Father that we have in all of our lives, Father God. And we pray for a release, a discernible release of that anointing through mothers and fathers of the faith yes. in Elk River, in Minnesota, and across the United States of America, and beyond that, the, the world. We thank you, Father God, that when all is said and done, our older brother Jesus will return under the superintendence of your heavenly Father and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for this time with Pastor Rene, and I pray that every word spoken during this podcast would seed truth into the listener, because I ask it in the name of Jesus. Mm. Amen. 
Amen. Well, thank you, Alan. Uh, this has been uh, just a blessed conversation with you. Um, thank you for joining us, those of you who are listening. We pray that you were blessed in this conversation with our good friend, Alan Ross, pastor, uh, prophet, and uh, most importantly, son of God. Bless you. Thank you.